Jesus promised his disciples in Acts 1.8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Welcome to You Shall Receive Power, and here are your hosts, Etienne McClintock and Colin Hone. Greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for tuning into the program today. It's Colin and my pleasure to have your company. And as we study the Word of God together, we know that God will bless us. Look, we're going to take a very pragmatic view of of the gospel and that. We spoke about the, the previous program. We spoke about the thorns in the flesh. And today we're going to continue that theme and even get into day 31 of the book, Prayers and Devotionals, to prepare for the latter rain and Christ's return. That is day 31, which talks about the Christian path is not always easy. So we want to give you encouragement. We want to say to you that God will never leave us nor forsake us. He's promised us that, and we've got to accept it by faith. We don't walk by sight, but by faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So there's many promises in the Bible that we can claim that is to encourage us, to strengthen us, and the word of God is living and powerful. We've seen it evidenced in the creation account of Genesis chapter 1 where God speaks and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. And that same word, that same power is present in the word of God. And under the unction of the Holy Spirit, we can have the power of God working within us. And as we studied in our previous week's uh, Lesson, We actually looked at the fact that Paul was told that when he was weak, then the power of God would be strong within him. So as we open the word of God today, we just ask you just to bow your head with us as we invite God's presence and his Holy Spirit to anoint us and bless us in our study. Gracious Father in heaven, we're so grateful that we can have access to your word. We have freedoms to be able to study, that we have the Holy Spirit to be a teacher and instructor, Father, and also a comforter, even when we go through difficult times, that we can have your peace and your love and joy and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, regardless of what our experience is. And, Father, we don't know the experience of every person listening out there today, but we just pray that you would bring comfort and healing and restoration to their lives. Bless us, Father, and bless them also now with the fresh baptism of your Spirit, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so we're continuing our study, Colin, uh, some very important aspects here, because sometimes when people come to the Lord, you know, it's almost like they have an idea that is going to be happy ever after. Now, of course, we can have love, joy, and peace in our hearts, but we may go through some difficulties and trials, and we've got to be aware of that. Well, the Bible tells us that we're in war. We're in a war. Hmm. And we're in an actual spiritual war. Yes. And um, and I want to talk about, last week we were talking about that, you know, many are Christians, and I can tell it on my own Christian experience, I've, I've been a Christian for 25 years, is that sometimes we're not experiencing this deliverance from temptation through Christ. Mm. And um, But we're trying to do it through our own efforts. We're trying to overcome by our own efforts. And we're asking God to add his power to our efforts. Yes. When we do this, we're not experiencing the light burden that Jesus is referring to in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. You know that light burden where he says, my yoke is easy. Instead, the life is weighed down with frustration, bewilderment and feelings of defeat. And Jesus calls us to come to him with this burden. And if you learn how to do this, you'll find rest. Mm. And your walk with the Lord will become much easier and lighter. Why? Because Jesus is giving you his victory and you are resting in him. When you're asking Jesus to give me the victory and having faith that it's his work mm. and you're resting in that, mm. that gives you rest. Faith is the key aspect. You mentioned faith there. Uh, mm. you know, it says faith is the victory. This is the victory that's overcome the world, even our faith. 
And we are told in uh, Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4 that Israel, when God led them out of the wilderness, couldn't enter into his rest because of unbelief. Lack of faith. Lack of faith. So the way we're going to receive rest is actually by faith and receiving the word of God and expecting God to do exactly what he promised he would do because his word is alive and powerful. The creative energy of God is in his word. And we can receive that power working in our lives by faith. It's interesting you said that, that Israel could not enter the promised land Mm. because of lack of faith and unbelief. Yes. And everything in the Bible are parallels to what's happening in the last days. Amen. Maybe entering into the heavenly Canaan, into the heavenly, Mm. we're not there because of lack of faith. Because Jesus says when he comes, will he find faith on the earth? Faith on the earth. Mm. So maybe there's a parallel there. Look, there's a definite parallel. It even says that Enoch was translated by faith. He was told by God that, you know, that uh, he was loved by God and that uh, he walked with God. He walked with God and he was translated without seeing death by faith. So we are the same. If we believe we're going to be that last generation that will see Christ coming in the clouds of heaven and be translated without seeing death, it will also be a matter of faith. Amen. Mm. So I must admit, before I came to personally um, understand, experience the reality of abiding in Christ, and allowing him to manifest himself in and through me, I did not understand these words of Christ. For me, to be honest, the Christian life has been sometimes a burden and obedience wasn't easy. Mm. You know, But when I came to understand um, and experience Christ's abiding presence, then I found his words to be true. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Mm. He offers the same abiding experience to all who believe in me. Amen. But many times along the road, I've even believed this, but I've defaulted back to the old ways. Trying through my own efforts, you know, taking your eyes off Jesus and mm. trying to do things in your own efforts. Mm. And then you go back to the struggle again and you go, Why am I struggling? You go back, Please help me, Lord. And you're asking us, like, Help me. Instead of, Lord, you do it. Give me your righteousness. Give me your victory. Yeah. Now, so, this, this offer that Jesus makes, is, is there other exceptions? Are there, is anybody excluded from the offer that God makes in regards to giving us his rest and to give us a burden that is light? I don't believe so. I don't believe so either. I no. think it's every person listening out there at the moment, God is talking to you. You are not excluded from this offer. And so I want to give some more things that I've learned about this kind of victory that Christ requires us in the in a moment-by-moment communion with him. Mm. It's, remember, it's about that, that white cloth and the blue cloth that we spoke oh, yes. in our last, last program. Time. About, yes. you know, we, we are the white cloth covered with the righteousness of Christ, and Christ is the blue cloth. And when the blue cloth and the white cloth come into contact with each other and they're constantly in contact, the white cloth becomes blue and bluer mm. and bluer till the point that comes to it, you can't tell the difference. That's right. It's and Christ 100% living in the believer. Just like the Sanhedrin realized after Jesus' ascension and that the people had been baptized with the Holy Spirit, that the disciples had been with Jesus because they were unlearned, uneducated men, and here they spoke boldly and with power, and eloquently they presented the gospel of Christ. Mm. And so I love what David wrote in uh, Psalms chapter 16, verse 8. He says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand I shall not be moved. Mm. See, David knew the necessity of the Lord being always before him. Yes. Always before him. And we must not let our communion with Jesus be broken. This has got to be a constant day by day, morning by morning, even out throughout the day, moment by moment, communion with Jesus. And we can also see the victory Jesus offers us 
requires a moment-by-moment surrender to him. Mm. Whenever a temptation comes, because a temptation just doesn't come in the morning, it comes throughout the day. Yes. It comes at times when you least expect it. It's true. And whenever a temptation comes, we must surrender to him no matter how much we have enjoyed yielding to it in the past. Mm. So complete 100% surrender is the only way for complete 100% victory. Amen. And I love what Ellen White wrote in this necessity of moment-by-moment communion and surrender with the words from the beautiful book Desire of Ages, page 324. She says we may leave off many bad habits For the time we may part company with Satan But without a vital connection with God Through the surrender of ourselves to him moment by moment We shall be overcome Without a personal acquaintance with Christ And a continual communion We are at the mercy of the enemy And shall do his bidding in the end He will get you in the end In the end, yeah Did you see though that the secret was? The moment-by-moment surrender of ourselves? Yeah, a personal with Christ and a continual communion, Mm. continually. You know, Paul said, pray what? Without ceasing. Prayer is communion with God. Amen. Pray without ceasing. Continually talk to God throughout the day Mm. in situations. And then when you're tempted, you're in communion. Lord, hey, give me that victory over whatever it is you're facing at Mm. that time, Mm. that temptation at the time. Because if we don't, as she says, we may leave off many bad habits for a time, but without a vital connection through surrender ourselves to him, moment by moment, we shall be overcome. Yes. And with a personal acquaintance with Christ and a continual communion, we're at the mercy of the enemy and shall do his bidding in the end. Mm. So how do we do this? Daily receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is also essential for our communion with Christ to remain unbroken. Mm. That's why Ellen White confirmed this when she wrote in the Review and Herald, April 5, 1892. Because we must have a living connection with God. We must be clothed with power from on high by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that we may reach a higher standard, for there is help for us in no other way. She's clearly clear. telling us that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what gives us a living connection mm. with God. Amen. Because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is asking for Jesus mm. to dwell in us, and the Father as well, through the Holy Spirit in us. You can read that in John chapter 14 That's where, right. where Jesus talks about that. And so we're told the Spirit's infilling is absolutely necessary for this to happen. And I love uh, many uh, people have heard of Charles Finney maybe potentially. He's a well-known 19th century revivalist and evangelist. His name was Charles Finney. And he understood the gospel teaching of how the Christian overcomes sin. He also realized that many Christian leaders of his day who did not understand this truth were actually teaching sanctification by works. Mm. And so what did he read in from the book Power of God, page 119 to 120? If you could read that, it's just a wonderful um, example here. Okay, so Charles Finney says, In all my Christian life I have been pained to find so many Christians living in the legal bondage described in the seventh chapter of Romans, a life of sinner resolving to reform and falling again. And what is particularly saddening and even agonizing is that many ministers and leading Christians give completely false instructions on how to overcome sin. The directions that are generally given on this subject, and I'm sorry to say about this, is that take your sin in detail, resolve to abstain from them, and fight against them if need be with prayer and fasting until you have overcome them. Set your will firmly against the relapse into sin. Pray and struggle and resolve that you will not fall. And persist in this until you form the habit of obedience and break all your sinful habits. To be sure, it is generally added 
In this conflict, you must not depend upon your own strength, but pray for the help of God. In a word, much of the teaching, both of the pulpit and the Christian press, really amounts to this. Sanctification is by works and not by faith. So what we see from this is when the Christian struggles with sin in this manner, he is actually focusing on the sin and not on Jesus. Mm, it's like you said in the last program, you know, you want to balance the broom on your hand. And if you focus on your hand, you can't balance it. But if you focus at the top, you look up, then you can actually balance focus it. Focus on Christ. Amen. Give you the victory. You focus on yourself, so you'll fall. Mm. And so and it'll never bring the victory when we focus on sin. And Paul instructs us that the victory over sin and even our besetting sins, mm. you know, our, our thorns happen as we look unto Jesus who begins and completes the work of victory in our lives. Mm. And we can read that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he's saying, put aside, lay away your weights. He's talking about your sins. Mm. Put aside your sins and look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Look up unto Jesus for the Mm. victory. So Jesus authored our faith and he finished our faith. He perfected our faith. That's right. And so when we look to Jesus, who begins and completes this work of victory in our life, and Finney wrote of what happens when we struggle with temptation. He says this, it will be perceived, is directing the attention to the overt act of sin, its source of occasions, Mm. resolving and fighting against it. It fastens the attention on the sin and its source and diverts entirely from Christ. We're focusing on the sin. And that's what the devil or Satan will try and get you to do, is to focus on your sin and yourself Mm. instead of focusing on Christ and asking him to overcome that Mm. in and through you. True. And so Finney then goes on to point out that love is the real issue. Paul tells us that love is the fulfilling of the law in Romans chapter 13 and verse 10. Mm, it says, yeah, love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Yeah. Mm. He does not say that strolling with temptation in the, is the fulfilling of the law. <laughs> yeah. Does he? No. And so now what is resolved against this religion of resolutions and efforts to suppress sinful habits and form holy habits Love is the fulfilling of the law. Mm. But we do not produce love by resolution. Do we eradicate selfishness by resolution? No, indeed. We may suppress this or that expression or manifestation of selfishness by resolving not to do this or that, and by praying and struggling against it, we may resolve upon our outward obedience and work ourselves up to the letter of an obedience to God's commandments. Mm. But to eradicate selfishness from the heart by resolution is an absurdity. That's yeah, what that's yeah. what uh, Finley is saying. Wow. Well, it is an absurdity, but many try it. And uh, dare I say, in my previous experience, there have been times when I've tried it. Grit my teeth, try harder, but uh, unfortunately not successful at all. We all have. We yeah. all have. And all such efforts to overcome sin by fighting it will end in failure every time and will never produce love in our hearts. Mm. And that's why Finley puts it in this way. He says, All our battling with sin... In the outward life, by the force of resolution, only ends in making us whiten sepulchres. I think it's sepulchres, yeah. Sepulchres. All our battling with desire by force of res- resolution is of no 
avail. Mm. There's only one way to overcome sin in our life. That way is to have faith that Christ will give us the victory. That's it. Mm. Have the faith and believe that Christ will give us the victory. Jesus is the author and finisher of our victory over sin. He is the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. Mm. Christ is our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. I mean, one of my favorite texts. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Mm. Finley describes how the Christian obtains the victory through faith in Christ in the following way. The fact is that it's simply by faith that we receive the Spirit of Christ to work in us to do to will and to do according to his good pleasure. That's found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Yes. He sheds abroad his own life in our hearts and therefore thereby kindles ours. Mm. Romans 5, 5, the love of God is poured out on our hearts. By the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. By That's the right. Holy Spirit. Mm. So every victory over sin is by faith in Christ. Whenever the mind is diverted from Christ by resolving and fighting against sin, whether we're aware of it or not, we are acting in our own strength. Mm. We are rejecting the help of Christ and we're under the specious delusion. Nothing but the life and energy of the Spirit of Christ within us can save us from sin. And trust is the uniform and universal condition of working off this saving energy within us. Mm. Very insightful. I think Finley was well aware of the pervasiveness of the teaching common in his day. Mm. And I would say in our day as well that the Christian must struggle with temptation and sin in order to have the victory. Sure. I Look, I agree with that. I, I think sometimes it just takes on a more subtle form. For example, how many times would have heard, you know, we need to be loving and lovable Christians. We don't love enough. We need to love more. Focus just on loving more. Well, whose energy and whose power are we relying on to be more loving? Our own if we do that. But if we surrender and God does what he says he would do by giving us the Holy Spirit and pouring in in our hearts the agape love of God, those principles will then act in and through us, and that will be the unction for us to be those loving, lovable Christians. But that comes through surrender, not by us gritting our teeth trying to be more loving and lovable. That's true. Or we can default to the other side and completely say, this is impossible. Yes. You know what I mean? We've just had defeat after defeat after defeat. Mm. And so we have to then design some new theology that says we can be saved in our sins. Well, that's just another word for humanism because what happens is in the we create a theology rather than accepting the theology of Christ in the Bible by faith. Yeah. So it's man-made then. That's right. That's, that's like having another God before you. That's right. Or just saying, hey, listen, you know, God understands and uh, we're just going to keep sinning and it's okay. Mm. There's nothing we can do about it. And so they're stuck in Romans 7, and they never get out of Romans chapter That's 7 right, yeah. and find the truth of Romans chapter 8, mm. which is a wonderful, wonderful promise That's right. of, of victory in Romans chapter 8. And, you know, the Romans chapter 7 man says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And that wretchedness is mentioned again in the latest sin condition. You don't know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's true. Mm. That's true. And so I love, this is what Finley wrote about it. He says, it is rooted so deeply that one of the hardest lessons for the human heart to learn, here's here's his point, one of the hardest lessons for the human heart to learn is to renounce self-dependence and trust wholly in Christ. When we open the door by implicit trust, he enters in and takes up his abode with us and in us. By shedding abroad his love, he quickens our whole soul into harmony with himself. And in this way, And in this way alone, he purifies our hearts through faith. Mm. 
I love it. And Finley concludes his discussion of victory in, in and through Christ with these words. Do you want to read out this part? Okay, so this is from page 26 of the book Power from God. 126. 126, thank you. Oh, that it could be understood that the whole of the spiritual life that is in any man is received directly from the Spirit of Christ by faith as the branch receives its life from the vine. And that, of course, is quoting there from John 15, verse 4 and 5. Away with this religion of resolutions. It is a snare of death. Away with this effort to make the life holy while the heart does not have in it the love of God. Wow. Wow. He's really nailed it, hasn't he? Yeah, very He really has. And so this is God's gift to us. When Adam sinned, Satan thought he had taken the most precious thing away from God. Man who God created in his own image. And Satan hated God and the man that God created. And Satan knew that God had created man to enter into a close, intimate relationship with himself, even creating him a little lower than Elohim himself. It says in Psalms chapter 8, verse 5 to 6, mm. he created us a little lower than Elohim, mm. than mm. himself. Yeah, the Elohim, of course, in the Hebrew there can, can mean God, it can mean angels. And yes. then if you look at the Septuagint, it actually transferred as angelos, which is was angels. Angels, a little lower than angels. A little lower than, a little than angels. Lower than himself. Mm. However, man was so precious to God that he made a decision back in eternity past to save mankind from the terrible consequences of sin, eternal death and separation from God. Mm. In Revelations 13, verse 8. And so therefore... God devised a plan where Christ would come to this earth as a man. And we can read that in John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3 and 14. And he lived a perfectly sinless, righteous life. First mm. Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and 23 says that. And Peter, Peter saying, to die the death that we deserve. And you can read that in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 and 6. These are all the verses talking about why Jesus came. And in essence, this is what God says to you. I love you and want you to live with me forever. Mm. However, because of your sin, you deserve to die because the penalty of sin is death. death. Therefore, I will come and die the death you deserve. Mm. Also, I cannot take sinners to heaven to live with me. So I will come to earth and live the righteous, sinless life you are unable to live. So here, receive the forgiveness I offer you in 1 John 1, 9. Mm. Receive it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he says, and take my righteousness, which I'd live for you, and be covered with my righteousness. He talks about in Jeremiah 23, 26 and Romans chapter 9, verse 30 to 32. I also know that you must live on earth until Jesus returns and that you are unable to live a righteous life, even though you want to. Mm. He says that in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. And Isaiah 64, 6, therefore, I will come and live in you Mm. and actually live out my righteous obedience in and through you that I lived when I became one of you in the person of Jesus Christ. That's in Galatians 2, 20 and uh, Colossians 1, 27. You see, this is what Paul meant when he wrote this in Galatians 2, 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, Paul was still in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Mm, Beautiful text. Another one of my favorites. What a wonderful promise. 
mm. that Jesus says, I love you and want to live with you forever. So he pays the penalty and then says, I know you can't live the an obedient life, mm. but I did live it through through my son Jesus. Mm. And then I'm going to let Jesus live out his life in and through you. So Paul could live a life of faithful obedience to God. Why? Because Christ was living in him. Mm. That's how you can live a righteous life, only by Christ living out his righteous life in and through you. Yes. It's not you. It's not I, Paul but, says, but, but Christ that lives in me. Mm. Paul's faithful obedience was a result of faith or faithfulness of the Son of God who was living in him. Mm. Paul had learned how to let Christ live out his faithfulness to God in and through him. The same faithful life he lived when he walked this earth. Remember in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 to 12? Yes. What does it say right at the end in the last verse? It says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And have the faith of Jesus. Mm. Well, how do you have the faith of Jesus? Why? Only one way. Yeah. If Jesus is living in you, you have his faith living in you. Mm. They have Christ living in them fully, completely. This in part is why Christ had to become a man. In Romans chapter 8, verse 3 to 4, it says, Christ had to become a man. Yeah. Man needs a human righteousness. Mm. God knew man could not live a righteous life due to his sinful nature. So God himself came and lived a faithful, righteous human life in the person of Jesus Christ. And if we let him, Jesus will live out his faithfulness to God in and through us. Mm. This is true righteousness by faith. Amen. For there is no other righteousness in this earth except for the righteousness of Christ Mm. that lived 2,000 years ago and will continue to live out in the life of those who believe in him and have faith in him. That's why Ellen White said this in Desire of Ages, page 324. The only defense against evil is the indwelling of Christ in the heart through faith in his righteousness. There's righteousness by faith right Mm. there. Amen. Unless we become vitally connected with God, we can never resist the unhallowed effects of self-love, self-indulgence, and temptation to sin. Wow. The only defense against evil is the indwelling of Christ Mm. in the heart through faith in his righteousness. And remember in Romans it says the love of God is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Who's the love of God? Jesus. Jesus, yes. Yes. So I just pray that we will experience the fullness of Christ by allowing him to live out his faithfulness, his righteous life in and through us. Mm. And I pray that we will allow him to manifest himself in every aspect of our lives. And once we discover this amazing truth, our lives will never be the same. And your life will be filled with joy and peace. You'll see victories before thought impossible to attain. Mm. Jesus will be everything to you. You will know from experience what Paul meant when he wrote, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. And on that note, Colin, we'll take a break and we'll come back right after this short message. Stay tuned. I'm looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13 Jesus often called himself the Son of Man to describe his divinity, especially is this so when he spoke of his second coming. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. Then the king will say to them on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, 
Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Matthew 25, 31 to 34. Think about who this Son of Man is. All the nations will be gathered before him at his coming. He fulfills a divine role at his coming. Welcome back to You Shall Receive Power. Just before the break, we were talking about Christ in you, the hope of glory, and how through the righteousness of Christ and his merits alone we can obtain the victory. But there's two aspects of it, obviously about Christ being in us, but there's another aspect, Colin. I don't know if you'd like to unpack that a little bit about us being in Christ. Yeah, so it talks about abiding in Christ abiding in us Mm. and us abiding in Christ Mm. in John chapter 15, verses 4 to 5. Okay, and it says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Can't do nothing. And Mm. Jesus, even in John 14, verse 12, says, He who has has Christ will do the same works as Jesus. The yeah. only way you can do the same works as Jesus, as he goes on in chapter 14, is if Christ is dwelling in you, that you do the same works. Mm. He says, you'll do the Amen. same works as me and even greater works in John fourteen twelve. Yeah. Just an amazing promise. It's incredible. But even in John chapter 6, just earlier on, Jesus of himself says that I of myself can do nothing. So he relied on the Father because he was in the flesh. He was a human being. He relied on the Father fully to give him the victory and to do the things that he well, the things that we saw and, and hear about in the Bible that he could do. John chapter 5, verse 30 says, I of myself can do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So fill in that and just say, what Jesus did with the Father, we do with Jesus. Amen. You could just say, say that out mm. and just put Jesus in there and put yourself in there. I myself can do nothing. That's, that's right. So Jesus says, I of myself can do nothing. And then he tells us here in uh, John chapter 15 that without him we can do nothing. That's right. So it's the same thing, principle. It's the same thing. The Father in Jesus, the Jesus in us. Which shows us that Jesus is actually our example as well. As he surrendered to the Father in all things, so we are to uh, surrender to Jesus in all things as well. That's right. So how does this happen? Well, Christ lives and abides in us as we daily receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that abiding is very real. Mm. Our connection with Christ is just as real and living as is the connection between the vine and the branch. Yes. That's the illustration that Jesus is giving here. In order the branch to bring forth fruit, what must it do? It must be continually in living connection with the vine. Mm. So also with the Christian, if we're to bring forth fruit of obedience, we must maintain a living connection with Christ through the Holy Spirit, the sap. We've got to continually have a living connection with Christ through the Holy Spirit. And using the illustration Christ gave in nature, the branch receives its life from where? From the vine. It receives its nutrients, the sap, the very life it needs from the vine. Once the branch is attached to the vine, whether naturally or even grafted in, right, Mm. it will bring forth fruit as a result of the living connection with the vine. Now, the branch does not work at bringing forth fruit. Yeah. It doesn't work. I've got to keep, I've got to produce fruit. I've got to produce Mm. the fruit. No, it simply stays in connection and the fruit comes forth. That's right. If the branch becomes disconnected from the vine, mm. right, disconnected, it ceases to bring forth fruit, and it will what? It will die. die. It will wither. Yeah. That is what Christ said, without me, you can do mm. nothing. It's by faith, not works. 
An example of the vine and the branch nicely illustrates the futility of us Christians or believers trying to bring forth fruit of obedience. As we previously described, the usual Christian experience follows the pattern of the individual. So first of all, we accept Jesus Christ Hmm. as our Savior, and then we try to obey Christ's commands by asking God to help him in our efforts to obey. Yes. All such efforts will fall short of the obedience the sincere believer wants. And I love what Andrew Murray in his book said, Abiding in Christ. He's got a beautiful book called Abiding in Christ. He says this in Abiding in Christ, page 24. says, The idea they, that's many Christians, have of grace is this, that their conversion and pardon are God's work, but now, in gratitude to God, it is their work to live as Christians and follow Jesus. There is always the thought of a work that has to be done, and even though they pray for help, still the work is theirs. They fail continually and become hopeless, and the despondency only increases the helplessness. And that's what happens. You have this either legalistic approach, trying to do it by your own efforts, and, yeah, sure, God, please help me, Mm. or you give up. You give up. Yes, and so this is what happens because naturally if you can't do it, you're going to say, okay, maybe it's impossible to do. Mm. And I've just got to rest in Christ's justifying righteousness and that's it. And you yeah. just give up on the, on the uh, sanctification mm. because we don't know how. And unfortunately I hear this too often, th- this kind of approach to it, you know, that uh, it's simply our response. And that while there is a response, there's no merit in what we do. It is all Christ working in and through us and it's all by faith. The response is surrender. Yes, that is the is to surrender daily our mm. wills and us, because we have no we have a will but we don't have any power. Yeah, and so we surrender God our will and we ask for His power. Mm. Amen. And so many of us, and even you know, even us Adventists who know many things the Lord wants us to do, will ask, well, what then are we supposed to do? Mm. Doesn't obedience require effort on our part? Mm. Don't we need to work hard at following Christ in obedience? And my answer to those questions is consider Christ's illustration of the vine and the branch. Yes. That illustration itself should indicate to us that there is nothing or there's something wrong with the concept that we must work hard to obey Christ. Mm. No, our part is to stay in living connection with Jesus. Amen. And to choose to obey and choose to obey, then ask Christ to manifest his obedience in and through us. In other words, his, his sap. Yes. In and through us believing he will do just that. And Andrew Murray described this in the following way. And if the question be asked, but surely there is something for us to do, the answer is our doing and working are but the fruit of Christ working in us. It is when the soul becomes utterly passive, looking and resting on what Christ is to do, that its energies are stirred to their highest activity, that we work most effectually because we know that he works in us. All these great um, preachers, Mm. they worked out the secret. Mm. All of them worked out this secret of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Yes. It's been there the whole time. The truth of the matter is, if we work at attaining the righteous behavior the Lord wants us to experience in our life, we're actually practicing a form of legalism. We are looking to self and our own efforts to do what only Christ can do for us. Mm. And I think many Christians understand legalism when it comes to justification aspect of receiving Christ righteous by faith. They understand the legalism of that part of it. Yes. But they do not understand legalism in the matter of sanctification. Christ's righteousness being lived out in our life. Righteousness in the Christian's life in both justification and sanctification 
are both received by faith, mm. not by works. Yes. Let's read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10. Yes, and it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, and quite often verse 10 is left out in, in, the, in the quote, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, just read that part slowly. Let's unpack that last part about sanctification. Okay, verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. So whose work? God's workmanship. His workmanship, yep. And that we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we've been created in Christ Mm. for good works. So the the power of the gospel is actually recreation. Yep. That's what I'm saying. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So God's prepared these works. Yes, that we should walk in them. So we should what? Walk in them. Mm. There's sanctification. Amen. And so, you know, many of us do not understand legalism in the matter of sanctification. Christ's righteousness being lived out in our life, righteousness in the Christian's life in both justification and sanctification are both received by faith, not by works. Mm. Amen. So when we understand this aspect of righteousness by faith, the abiding in Christ aspect of sanctification and obedience... Jesus will become even more precious to us. Mm. His victory in the flesh becomes our victory over temptation when we ask by faith and ask him to live out his victory in us. So when we're tempted, we must learn to immediately turn to Christ. Like that broomstick, we need to look up, not look to ourselves. Yes, I love that. When we're trying to balance the, 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 the broom on our palms, we need to look to Christ. We must be tempted. We must learn to immediately turn to Jesus and let him manifest his obedience in and through us over whatever temptation we are facing. Mm. Edian, our victory has already been obtained 2,000 years ago. Amen. That is why he became a man. Jesus became a man and lived a perfectly obedient life, overcoming all temptation, it says, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Wow. And I think also Peter mentions it in First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and 22. Yes. It says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mind. I want you to read that again, and just let's just unpack that. Okay. So it says there from verse 21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. So Christ left us an example mm. to follow in his steps. So Christ is our example. Amen. That's okay, very To clear. follow in his steps, yep. And then it says who committed no sin. And we're following his steps who committed no sin. That's right. How did nor, he do that? Nor was the seat found in his mouth. The seat was not found in his mouth. Yeah, and then it says verse 23, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but committed himself to him. Who judges righteously. So we're to do the same. Submit ourselves to him. That's right. To Commit Christ. ourselves to him, yeah. That's oh, unreal. Mm. By faith in Christ, we have his justifying righteousness covering us, don't we? We do. And by faith in Christ, we have his sanctified righteous obedience lived out in and through us. Mm. These are the two precious aspects of righteousness by faith. Both, and I want to make this perfectly clear, both are Christ's righteousness, not mine, mm. not yours. They're both Christ's righteousness. His justifying righteousness is imputed to us. Yes. His sanctifying righteousness is imparted to us. 
and we receive both of them by faith. And when we understand these two aspects of righteous by faith, we'll see that it is Jesus from the beginning to the end in our Christian experience. Amen and amen. Then all man's boasting will be laid in the dust. Mm. And that's why Paul could write these beautiful words in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29 to 31. It says that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Wow. You see, well, everything we are to receive... Everything from Christ, just as the branch receives everything it needs from the vine, Christ is to be our wisdom, Christ is to be our righteousness, Mm. Christ is our sanctification, and Jesus is our redemption Mm. or glorification. If we stay continually connected to him through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, daily feeding on his word, and moment by moment in prayer, that's why prayer is an integral part of this. That's our communion with God through prayer and through his word. We will receive the blessings from him. Not by working to receive them, but by believing we have them Mm. by faith. And I love what John says. He really just puts one verse in 1 John 5, verse 4, that really encapsulates this. It says, Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So how do we overcome the world? Through faith. How do we overcome sin? Yeah, by faith. The faith in Christ's righteousness mm. and, and him to give us the victory. You see, Jesus paid it all and Jesus did it all. And our part is simply to believe, to surrender. Mm. And when we experience the righteousness that comes by faith, then all glory goes to Christ and none to ourselves. Amen. That is why in God's kingdom, when we get there, it says all our crowns will be cast at Jesus' feet. feet. Yes, It's a wonderful promise. But there is a faith struggle, hmm. you know, and there's a faith struggle in order us to experience continual unbroken abiding in Christ and also Christ abiding in us. There must be a continual 100 percent surrender to God's will. Hmm. Now, God may lead you into an experience where this is not easy and the challenge may seem very difficult. And at such times, it's important to remember that you're in a situation by God's leading. And wherever Jesus leads you, he will take you through it. Amen. And, for example, it says that Christ is our example. You know, Christ experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane after sharing the Passover with his disciples and instituting the communion service was such an occasion, wasn't it? It was. Throughout his life, Christ had obeyed his heavenly Father implicitly by allowing how? By allowing the Father to manifest himself through him. And Jesus wrote of this in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus allowed the Father to manifest His glory throughout His life. He had never turned away from following the truth of God's Word or the way the Father led Him. Now in the garden, He faced the most difficult challenge of following His Father's will. I mean, three times that in, He prayed, that this cup of suffering may be taken away from him. And each time he yielded to the will of the Father, he mm. said, take this cup away from him. But he says, not my will, but what? Thy will be done. Yeah. And the Father, he understood the struggle Jesus was going through, but he couldn't remove it. Mm. It was all in his divine will for the events to transpire. And Jesus knew he was being led by his Father, and the will of his Father was clear to him. Therefore, 
he willing submitted even though the submission was very difficult at yeah. that moment. Mm. I mean, three times he said, Lord, please take this cup away from me mm. if it's possible. But not my will, your will, Father. Mm. And in prayer, it was in prayer that Christ gained the victory over the crisis of the cross. Amen. It was in prayer. He was facing, once the victory was gained in prayer, his obedience unto death was assured. Mm. And that's the same with us. When we face such times of crisis under God's leading, it's essential we follow Christ's example. In prayer, we will find the strength and courage to move forward in faith as we continue to abide in Christ, knowing that he will see us through and will manifest himself in us and through us all the way to victory. Mm. So when we come to those moments, we go to prayer and we say, Lord, take this cup away from me. Take this away from me. You know, not my will, but your will, Father. It's in prayer. Yeah. And then, look, there would even be times where we even question why are some things happening to us <laughs> at that time, you know? <laughs> I mean, I can tell you throughout my life, there's been times, why is this happening? Mm. There's circumstances that, you know, that I could not control. Yeah. I have no control of certain circumstances. But there will be experiences we'll be led through in this life that we may not understand why God is allowing this to happen to us. I mean, look at Job. <laughs> Go through the whole you, Bible. Yeah, look at right. Jesus. Look at... Everybody, even the disciples, Peter in the, in the jail. Mm. Why is this happening to me? And at such times, it's vital to realize that Christ still resides in us and will manifest himself in and through us during any crisis. Mm. We must rest in the fact if we desire to maintain this peace. You know, Paul was called to go through many trials and tribulations, wasn't he? He was, definitely. And he lists a few of them when he shares his thorn in the flesh experience, remember? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 10. Yes, and he asked God to remove them, but God said no to his request. And the reason was that through these difficulties, God's power and character would rest on Paul and shine out through them. And some of the thorns that Paul encountered were according to his own words, infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, and distress for Christ's sake. And these experiences made Paul feel weak, helpless, and vulnerable. And he realized the value in all this when he stated, when I am weak, then I am strong. Mm. Meaning that God's strength will be manifest in and through him when he realizes his utter weakness. That's right. That's what God wanted him to teach him. Yeah. And at first, these difficulties challenged him and were confusing to Paul. He didn't understand them. That's why he prayed three times mm. for God to remove them. Then when we came to see the reason God left them in his life, he could say most gladly, therefore, well, I'd rather glory in my infirmities than the power of Christ may rest upon me. Mm, amen. That's why he wanted it. So the power of Christ will rest upon him. Mm. He could actually thank God for these thorns. See, Paul eventually came to realize that these thorns were opportunities for God by his power to more fully manifest his character of Christ in and through him. And these thorny experiences and trials are not circumstances we would choose for ourselves. Let's be honest. That's true. No one chooses thorns. Mm. However, God in his great wisdom chooses them for us. Why? They are his ways of means of discipline. And in Hebrews, we read about God's discipline in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, 7, and 11, when he says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If we endure chastening, God deals with us as sons. Mm. For what son is whom the father does not chasten or discipline? Mm. I mean, I have son. And I disciplined him because yeah. I loved him. Mm. 
Now, no chastening or discipline for the present seems to be joyous, does it? Well, that's dead right, yeah. <laughs> but grievous. Mm. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Mm. So these difficult situations at times, they try our faith. And we're tempted to distrust God, to question his leading and loving care for us. In this context, we're told in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 and 4. Do you want to read that for us? Verse 3 says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Wow. So this striving mentioned here is the faith challenge we face at such times of trial, uh, trial, isn't it? And the trial of the cross was not easy for Christ to go through. Remember, he prayed three times for it to be removed. His faith was challenged. Mm. Yet he remained faithful to his father. And during our times of trial, we will face such challenge to trust God and rest in the fact that he will fulfill his words to work all things good for our goods in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And if we remain faithful to him through the difficulty, it will bring forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our life. Amen. These are testing times to remain faithful. And I love the experience of Elijah's greatest victory on Mount Carmel, you know, he had just had the greatest victory over Mount Carmel, the test on Mount Carmel. Mm. And then he flees from Jezebel's threats. Mm. Also illustrates a crisis of faith. We, we can read that in First Kings. In chapter 19. In chapter 19. 19. Yes, right. In yeah. this story, we find it's important lesson concerning the necessity of continuing our close communion with God. Now, Satan took advantage of Elijah's physical, emotional, and spiritual exhaustion, didn't mm. he? He did. He could not stand before hundreds of... He could stand before hundreds of pagan priests, call fire down from God in a challenge of who was true to God, but the threats of enraged Jezebel undid him and he fled from his life. Mm. In the process of becoming like Christ, we too may go through times where everything seems to come in on us and we feel overwhelmed. You yes. might be experiencing it now in your life. Mm. And when this happens, it's important we remember what is happening. Feelings of being overwhelmed are caused by us losing hold on God and looking to ourselves or the situation. And every time we take our sights off Christ, we will begin to sink in failure, just as Peter began sinking the sea when he looked to the waves and not Christ. Mm. And even though Peter was walking on water at Christ's command, the threatening storm and waves put fear in his heart. We too will experience fear when under Christ's leading, we will find ourselves in the midst of a terrible storm in our lives and we take our lives off him. Mm. And so another lesson from Elijah's experience relates to the importance of following God's laws of health. Right. At Seven Day Venice, we've been aware of God's counsel on health for over 100 years. The reason following there is important is that our neglect can lead us to weaken our hold on Christ. Mm. For example, if you constantly don't get enough rest, you become overly tired, mm. mentally fatigued and spiritually and emotionally and physically weakened. Yeah. This will affect your faith relationship with Christ which could lead to a crisis of faith. Mm. And we look at Job. His experience illustrates the faith struggle when the Lord allows a crisis to come in our life. Job didn't know what was going on. He didn't know that what transpired between God and Satan. Yeah. He didn't even know what was going on. Mm. And crisis after crisis came upon him. Loss of material possessions, loss of family, mm. loss of health. He received no understanding or encouragement from his wife or his friends. And even in bitterness, his wife told him to curse God and die. That's right. His friends kept telling Job that these events were essentially judgments from God 
because of sin in his life. This is what his friends were telling him. Yeah, and the opposite was actually true. Jesus said, I mean, God said to Lucifer, have you seen my servant Job? And there's no one like him. Just, you know, does the right thing, shuns evil, fears God. Yeah. But through it all, Job kept his faith and declared his trust in God with the words, though they slay me, yet will I trust in him. Mm. So the Christian life is not without challenges, difficulties and disappointments and tragic experiences. However, if we learn to rest in Jesus, we can have the abiding peace, a peace that passes all understanding. In Philippines chapter 4, verse 6 to 7, mm. it tells us that. And this is the experience the Lord wants us to lead us all into. Great. Well, let's just take a break there so we can share our contact details. Dear listener, uh, if you're going through trials and difficulties, please know that you don't have to go through it by yourself. Christ is there with you. He's got his holy angels. And uh, all we need to do is ask in prayer. Not only that, we also offer here at 3ABN the opportunity to pray for you. And you can contact us as we share these contact details with you now. We'll be back right after this. Thank you for joining us on You Shall Receive Power. If you would like more information about today's program, Or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249 73 3456. Or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to You Shall Receive Power. Just as we are wrapping it up, we'll hand it over to Colin, but please take advantage of those contact details and get in touch with us if you'd like us to pray for you. So we're talking about Job's experience, and we're going to talk about this is Job's experience. is going to be God's last day people's experience. Mm. And this is the experience that the Lord wants to lead us into us. For this kind of faith and resting in Christ will be necessary for all who enter in the great tribulation or the time of trouble. All earthly support will be removed. Many friends and family members will turn against them. However, if they have learned the truth of abiding in Christ, all fear will be gone and the faith and faithfulness of Jesus will be manifest in their life. Mm. Then the trials they experience through the difficult times will only serve to further prepare them for Christ's glorious return. You know, God understands. And I just love uh, an important lesson to learn from Elijah's story is that God understands the faith Christ he was experiencing. Mm. God gave him time to rest and miraculously fed him, didn't he? Yeah. He allowed Elijah time to be free from the responsibility. And Elijah walked for miles, giving him opportunity to exercise in open air. I love it. Sometimes I got to, you know, when stuff's coming all around me, mm. I got to go and just walk out on the beach mm. on my own and I get things back in perspective. Yeah. And Elijah and God gave Elijah time to recover physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Then at the right time, God revealed to Elijah that he was sovereign God reigning over even the elements of nature, earthquakes, wind, and fire. Then God spoke to Elijah, calling him back to ministry. Mm. After Elijah's recovery, he served his Lord faithfully until the day of being taken into heaven without seeing death. So every faith struggle in the Bible has lessons to teach us. Amen. From God's word as a well in our life's experience, we find that faith struggles happen for numerous reasons. They all, God is taking us on a journey to teach us mm. to learn to trust in Him. Well, dear listener, we pray that you've been blessed by today's study. Whether you're walking and enjoying the noonday sun of the presence and glory of God in your life, or whether you're walking a path that's taking you through some stormy, difficult trials at the moment, just remember that Jesus says, Lo, I'm with you always unto the end of the earth. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We pray that God will continue to bless you as you walk your path of faith. 
and experience the victory and salvation that we can receive only by the merits of a crucified and risen Lord. Until next time. been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.